Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today, in honor of Valentine's Day, we are going to be discussing books about love, not necessarily romances, which is probably where you thought I was going to take that sentence. But <laughs> and, and really, honestly, that would have been the likely place that my mind would have gone for Valentine's yeah. Day. But really, we decided to do more the complicated nature of love, like love in all its many complex iterations, I would say. How do you feel about that summing up of what yeah, we're going to seems- talk about, Anne? That seems better than our original idea was love and not and like anti-love stories. Right. Like and, love gone wrong kind of thing. Yeah. Right? And yeah. this this seems like a better breadth yeah. for us. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I was as I was selecting my books for the topic, I realized I, this is a, a not it's not a genre that's known, but it's a type of book that I really, really enjoy. It's yeah, it's delving into kind of after the first flush of love, what that looks like. Um, and I didn't, I hadn't put it together before that that's something that I enjoy reading about, but I had a wealth <laughs> of books to choose from <laughs> that were that were in this vein. And it was, I had a few Love Gone Wrong ones too, but, but this sort of just looking at a relationship in all its positives and negatives, I had quite a yeah. few of those. Yeah, this, I think, was one of the easiest outlines to put together Mm -hmm. for us. Like, we just, sometimes we do an outline where uh, usually I start it because I'm always scared that Hallie will take something that I, (laughs) and I don't have as many options (laughs) as she does. So I'm like, let me get mine in fast, which we we never have, you know, sometimes we have to trade things around, but it's usually not a big deal at all. But, um, But this one, it was just like instantly the outline was finished and we didn't even have to discuss it or anything. It just was, it was so easy. So, and I think even one of my books is, is a first love kind of book, but it's still not as, it's not as straightforward as just a romance. There's, there's kind of other complications to it. And so um, we just wanted to take a look at, at books that that show maybe a more honest portrayal of love yeah. and not quite as idealized as right. uh, as you can see in many right. romances. Although right. I, I do think that I, I didn't used to feel this way. I know I know modern romances are much more interested in the in the, all the complications, and mm-hmm. I think that historically that has not been the case with your your more nineties and earlier romances. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, as I was thinking about this topic, and I at one point thought, well, maybe we should just do romances. I mean, that's so appropriate for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason I like this more is romances still, even though they have progressed from those original seventies, eighties, nineties kind of romances, they're still very much about the falling in love versus yeah. staying in love. Right. Which I love both of them. I there's not one one is not better than the other. But for this, I thought I really liked the idea of going in this direction because romances. There are a few I can think of about either couples that, in fact, one just came out about a couple that is married or has been married for a little while, uh, and and is having problems, and it's about them sort of figuring out a way back to each other. Oh. But that is not. A typical romance setup. Right. Usually, it is it is very much you meet somebody and it's it's enemies to lovers. You know, like yeah. you hate them at first sight and then end up loving them, or it's a friend that you fall in love with or something. It's all about the 
the falling in love. It's yeah, not about the staying whatever. In love. So right, whatever. Trope of right, right. Getting right. together. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I really liked this idea. I love Valentine's Day. I love anything having to do with hearts. But I always so when I was growing up, <laughs> anything pink. <laughs> but any uh, when I was growing up, I used to get like my mom would get me a Valentine's Day present, and so to me, Valentine's Day was less about romantic love than just the people in your life. It yeah. was. It wasn't. It wasn't a. There wasn't a big emphasis on. Oh no, this is just for people in love. This is just for couples. And that I love the fact that now there's Valentine's Day on yeah. February thirteenth, where it's all about celebrating your female friendship. So yeah. there's a lot. I think that it's just about a celebration of 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 fun, happy love, not yeah, necessarily like, romantic love. And yeah. honoring the people that like acknowledging that you care about the right, people in your right. life, and and not just in a I. I care about you on your birthday, but I care about the fact that you bring love into my life. Right, right. I think it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, we had, we, my mom did the same thing, but we had, she called it the Valentine's Fairy. Oh, Which that's I think adorable. is really cute. Yeah. It was like Christmas was Santa, then there was Valentine's Fairy, and then there was an Easter Bunny. And yeah. so it was this nice continuation that's of so nice. Yeah, we had the Easter gifts. Bunny, but we did not have the Valentine's Day Fairy. It was definitely from... My mom. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's is super fun. cute. I know. It's still so sweet. All right. Well, why don't we just go ahead and get started then with what our books are? Sure. Okay. Um, my first book is Less by Andrew Sean Greer, and it's a pretty famous book. It won the Pulitzer Prize uh, in 2018, and um, it seemed to kind of be a sleeper hit that wasn't as popular when it very first came out, and then it got kind of some... Um, like slow buzz and then suddenly it won the Pulitzer Prize and everyone was all excited about it. So it was kind of cool to see that trajectory. So it's the story of a fictional failed writer named Arthur Less and he receives a wedding invitation from his former partner of nine years and his partner Freddie had been much younger and I might be telling this wrong, but my memory is that is that Les knew that Freddie wanted to get married, but because of the age difference, he couldn't convince himself that it was actually what Freddie wanted. And so he sort of sabotages the relationship. Um, but I, I listened to the book, and so I didn't have a print copy to reference, but I think that's I what, think how, that's it, how right. it works I think that's right. I think that I read that. It's been a while, but I that sounds right to me, too. Okay, good, good, good. So... Um, I can't remember how old Freddie is, but Les is 49, about to turn 50, and he had success with a debut novel many years before, but he hasn't really, he's published, but he hasn't had much success since. So he really is aware that he's falling into irrelevance, and Freddie's invitation is just a reminder of everything that he doesn't have in his life. And so he knows he can't go to the wedding because that's crazy, but he also can't say no because that would be petty. And so his only option is to claim a fully booked schedule. So he accepts all these invitations to like minor literary events that are all around the world that he would never have accepted otherwise, but now he he sees them as these perfect as this perfect out. So he um he goes, I think, first to Mexico City, and from there he just travels all over the place. And his travels are all this comedy of errors where everything, he goes into everything with this very, um, in good faith, but then 
nothing goes well and everything turns out the worst way possible. So first, uh, when he goes to Mexico, he is there to speak at a conference about his mentor and his first lover, Robert. But then when he actually gets there, he finds out that Robert's ex-wife, whom Robert divorced to be with Les, is also on the panel. So it's just like every awkward situation and cringeworthy situation you can imagine. So he goes to Italy and Germany and Morocco and um, India, and he just finds himself in these really ridiculous and uncomfortable situations. And sometimes they're of his own making, but they all emphasize to him his own mediocrity. So um, my actual favorite part of the book is when he goes to Germany, he's supposed to be teaching this university course. And when he gets there, you realize that he doesn't know how to teach. And he also speaks really terrible German, but he doesn't know enough about either to realize that he's not qualified. Like, you know, when you, you, talk to someone who thinks they speak a language but they don't speak enough to know how bad they are at it (laughs) like it's that kind of thing and so um I think he like took German in high school and considered himself fluent and so they translate what he's saying in German literally for the for us to read and it's just it's really 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 funny so um as you can tell this book has a really humorous tone and it wouldn't work if it didn't because when I first started it I thought it would be another like rich white man with a midlife uh, with a midlife crisis and everyone around him is paying the price kind of book which there are a billion of and I am not interested in that at all but this has a really satirical approach to aging and career success and um and also the the uh, stereotype of the American abroad so um it's it's a really really funny book and at its heart, it's a love story because it does have a happy ending and most of the characters are concerned in some way with how they handle the many shades of love. So that could be whether it's letting go of it when it no longer serves you or looking back on missed opportunities or forgiving the people um, that you love when they harm you and and how you handle um, that rejection or that, that sadness. So I think for me, uh, it's interesting that we're doing this topic because I tend to see love as a very black and white Uh, stark issue Mm -hmm. um, in my life because I've had either really great experiences or really terrible experiences and not a ton in between and Mm -hmm. um, I think that this book is a good reminder of all the gray that exists and that the bittersweet is still sweet so that is less by Andrew Sean Greer yeah this book was such a surprise for me really yeah well yeah I mean just in general sort of its trajectory like you said it was such a slow building of buzz for it right right now I feel like you don't see that that much I feel like a lot of books just get a ton of buzz yeah pre-publication from the publisher and which then leads to people hearing about it and wanting to read it and stuff and this felt like I I feel like it wasn't even well no maybe that's not true I was about to say it wasn't until it was out in paperback that I was hearing a lot about it but I think I heard about it because it did win win the award but anyway I just feel like it, it It took me by surprise because it was a book that, from the description, I didn't think it was going to gain the traction that it gained. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I enjoyed it a, a lot. I, yeah. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah. I was, I was, um, it was for a book club that I read it and I don't know that I would have gravitated toward mm-hmm. it at all, but it, it was a really nice surprise and, and just a, a story that I, I thought I knew that mm-hmm. took a different take on it and, right. and I liked that a lot, so... All right, well, my first one is Our Souls at Night by Kent Harriff. And this one is what I would call a quiet love story. It is about older people in love, which don't see that often. It's a 
a woman named Addie who has lost her husband one day goes over to a neighbor's house named his name is Lewis and he is a, a widower as well and he she asks him if he would like to sleep with her and she's not propositioning him in the way you would think with that question she's really just hoping for company she is lonely she is missing her husband she is missing the companionship she had and it hits her the hardest at night when you are laying in bed and you're used to for well i'm going to make this up i don't remember the specifics from the book but let's say they were married for 40 or 50 years she had slept next to this man and that's where they would talk about their day and it sort of reconnect after a day spent doing all sorts of different things that was their time to be together and and talk and so she misses that and so she goes she thinks that maybe lewis is experiencing some of the same emotions so she goes and she asks him and he is he is quite taken aback at first but he agrees and soon they find themselves taking quite a lot of comfort in the routine of spending their time together and they develop this relationship and they talk about everything that you can imagine from the very mundane of what they're doing during their days to bigger themes about regrets they have uh, mistakes they've made in their life or questioning choices that they've made as well as how much they love and miss their spouses this isn't a replacement for the people that they've lost and they acknowledge that the, those people were very important to them but they're gone now and this is a person that they can they can rely on and confide in and so the feelings do end up deepening towards each other more than just this platonic situation of just sleeping for for comfort but Addie's son decides he doesn't like the arrangement um, because they are keeping it kind of quiet at first they're keeping it under wraps but soon soon people are noticing that uh, the neighbors are noticing and things that that they are they're sleeping in the same house um, and so he her son gets involved and decides to meddle and and that doesn't really end very well for them um, but it, it's a story that is really tinged with melancholy I would say it, it's even though there is this love story to it which is which is heartwarming about these two people that find each other later in life it, there is the sense of loss that they've lost their spouses and and the fact that as they're getting older their her her child in particular has more of an effect on her life because she may have to rely on him to care for her and things like that. Mm. So it just really offers, I thought, the, the, what struck me is it offers a, a deep insight into the intimacy of a relationship. Like I said, they, they're talking about such, they talk about such a wide range of things and they connect on this level that it's really, it's just really lovely to see this relationship develop between these two people. And it's also been made into a movie, which I have not seen yet, but I understand is quite well done as well. And so that is Our Souls at Night by Kent Harreff. I've heard nothing but good things about that one. And yeah. it's, of course, one that I own and haven't read yet. But <laughs> I need to get a button. I feel like that. maybe you just need to point out when you don't own a book now. <laughs> <laughs> Although I say that and I'm currently packing up my house to move and the number of boxes of books that I yeah. have is so ridiculous. I'm questioning why? Why do I have so many books? Yeah. But I love them. Once I unpack them, I'll be very I happy know. to have them. I know. Ugh. Whenever I get new books, I think, why do I own this many books? Because I have to rearrange all my books to accommodate the new yeah. books. But um, <laughs> also, to be fair, most of my books are digital downloads yeah. from yeah. Uh, publishers. So yes. thankfully... Same. I don't have that many physical books. 
<laughs> but I still have a lot. Yeah, I still do too. All right, what's your next one? Uh, up next is The Only Story by Julian Barnes. And this is actually one of the my favorite books that I read last year, read last year. So I'm not sure why I didn't talk about it in our favorite books of 2019 episode. Well, I'm I, glad you didn't, because now you can talk about it today. Yeah, exactly. I, I had that foresight, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did listen to it. And so I think maybe I felt like I needed to have read it in print to fully decide that because it definitely is a book that that has a lot uh going on structurally mm-hmm. and um in the writing style that I think I would I think I'd get even more out of it if I had read it in print so um so that may have been why I held off on it but I just think it's a gorgeous book so um I thought I would hate it because it was uh, a book that I didn't choose and was reading for a book club and on its surface it definitely seems like it's about a young man in the 1960s having a sexual awakening which I can't think of anything more boring than that so um it is not about that but it's actually about looking back at a failed relationship so um the the premise starts out very Mrs. Robinson-esque and there's a 19 year old college student named Paul who is home for the summer at his parents house and they live in a British suburb I can't remember if it's London or if they live farther out, but they, but it's in the sixties. And so, yeah, just your typical graduate style setup. So he starts going to a local tennis club to spend his time and he meets a 48 year old married woman named Susan and they start up a flirtation that turns into a hidden romance. And they're, they both consider this very exciting. And Paul especially doesn't want to be seen as old and stuffy like his parents. And he sees this as a way to be subversive and to throw off the conventions of middle-class life. So it's almost a it's almost a protest to him at the beginning versus a, a true love. So he learns through the relationship that, or at the beginning of the relationship that Susan and her husband haven't had sex in over 20 years. And um, her husband, uh, Gordon, is um, just kind of a, a standoffish guy, but Paul still tries to sort of befriend him. And so Paul thinks that he's being very progressive and adult in how he's handling this relationship. So you see very early just how immature he is uh, in, in the way he he views the situation. So, of course, their relationship is found out and it shocks the neighborhood and they're both kicked out of the tennis club, but they both think that they're above it all and that, and that this is perfect and so their love for each other grows. And then eventually Paul graduates from college and he and Susan move to London itself together and they leave uh, Susan's children behind and they intend to spend the, lef- the rest of their lives together, but she won't divor- divorce Gordon. And she says that um, he was an abusive alcoholic and um, they had a lot of really terrible things that were happening in the relationship. And Susan doesn't want to confront this and she doesn't want to deal with the divorce proceedings, which if this is in the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. I guess, I-, I don't know enough about how things have changed but I would think it would be pretty terrible for a woman back Mm -hmm. then to to raise those kinds of uh, accusations against her husband uh, publicly like that so um, Paul is studying to be a lawyer and so he's occupied but Susan doesn't have anything to do and so she begins to drink and eventually becomes an alcoholic and her mental state um, starts to to deteriorate and Paul can't do anything to help her or to make her stop and 
it's just this this really heartbreaking story and the, and you see these two people who do truly love each other but they both have mistakes that they've made and they're not equipped to handle love beyond the romance and the excitement and and especially on Paul's case the um like the social uh message that he's trying to send so um it's it's just a really interesting it, the book went in, in such interesting ways that I didn't anticipate at all from from having picked it up so it was a great surprise to me um the title refers to this idea that you only have one true love story in your life and that it informs everything else that happens to you Mm. um which is is really interesting to think about i i think probably listeners or longtime listeners know that i'm not a huge character person Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i'm not generally into character studies but i've thought about this so many times since i've read it last summer and it gives just so much to chew on about how we live with first love or how we live with love after the first glow of it has has gone away and what we owe to a relationship when it's no longer what we signed up for and i think that paul is a really really uh one of the most interesting narrators i've i've ever read he's incredibly complicated um and the writing style shifts from uh, first to second to third person throughout the book, and there are really specific reasons for that. And so that's kind of why I want to go back to it in print, because I think that there'd be more that I would take from it with seeing that um, before my eyes. So um, this was just a great surprise for me, and that is The Only Story by Julian Barnes. Oh, I want to read that right now. I have yeah, so I many other books I need to be it. reading, and I want to just put that on hold at the library. You would love this so much. I would love it. It sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I love a bittersweet love story. Yeah. Love it. All right, so my next one is Normal People by Sally Rooney, which has gotten quite a lot of acclaim in the last year. She is a very young writer. I think she might be... She's definitely younger than 30. I think she might be younger than 25. This is her second book. And everybody is just thinks she's fabulous. So I wasn't sure, actually, when I was picking this book up, if sometimes that sort of high praise ruins a book for me. Yeah. <laughs> because my expectations are really high, and then I read it, and I'm sort of like, well, what, what was that? Like, I, I didn't like it as much. But this is about a couple and it's it starts when they're in high school so connell is a popular boy in in school he is well liked he's athletic he's sort of like a golden boy and one day he goes to pick up his mom uh from where she's working she's a housekeeper and he goes to pick her up from where she's working and he sees that his classmate marianne lives there and marianne is basically the opposite of him she is seen as an outsider she's sort of an oddball she doesn't have very many friends but they are both very very smart and they're seen as the top two students at their school so they're sort of like lumped together and they find a bond in that they they strike up a conversation and they're they're realizing that oh hey here's somebody who who can commiserate in or or sympathize with what uh, the things that I'm dealing with but the he in particular doesn't want anyone to know that they have any sort of uh, friendship well and their friendship very very quickly turns to something sexual and and consensual I should say you know mutually agreeable to both of them but it is uh, hidden. They don't. They keep it under wraps. Nobody knows what is going on. It's, and Marianne partially agrees to that because she doesn't think she deserves more than that. She thinks that 
that seems about right because she is this outcast and he is this popular boy and so she she doesn't deserve more than that um so the book follows them throughout high school and college and 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 the way their lives go separate ways and then keep coming back together so this is one of those stories where they keep being drawn back to each other and then circumstances change and they drift apart or or meet somebody else or whatever it might be. And, and they never really define what their relationship is. It always has this air of sort of like secrecy and something shameful almost um, for no for no good reason really. It's just sort of what they put on themselves. Um, and part of why this book was so affecting, I think, and is, is because you see them you see their relationship change and sort of morph into these different versions of it from where it starts when they're in high school and then as they get older. And they are extremely frustrating characters. <laughs> I was reading, I read this whole, I just sat down one afternoon, it's not a very long book, and I just read the whole thing and sort of questioned when I finished it why I found it so compelling because they are the choices they make made me want to yell into the pages of the book like why are you doing that or don't do that or you're doing the wrong thing but that's such a sign of a good book I think because I was so involved they felt so real they felt like such frustrating real teenage people to me uh and so I just thought it felt very like very very indicative of like the tempestuousness of early relationships that are very like passionate but explosive um i never had one of those relationships but i had friends who did where it was just sort of like they kind of that was all their relationship was was this connection but then that that drove them apart as well as brought them back together uh so i just thought it was such a good read it was such a fascinating I do read for character, unlike you. I just, if, if it's, I I actually did this thing today, this exercise today at work, and it was all about uh, describing a book without using the plot. And, and you picked a book in your mind and, and picked words to describe it to somebody without saying any word of plot. And mine was all about the characters, like, well, mm. you know, well-rounded characters, well-drawn characters, complicated characters, it was all that. So, um, so this to me is all about the characters and that it's called Normal People by Sally Rooney. And actually I just saw the other day on Instagram that if it, it will be a TV show or is already a TV show on right, Hulu, yeah. which I had no idea. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited like, to watch it. Like very soon will be a show, right, not yeah. just in development or something. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it was it was like a trailer for it. It was like, yeah. here are scenes from the show. So I'm very excited for that. I always am curious about whether she's as popular outside of the book world and like hipster readers. Oh, I don't know. Um, because she's she's so popular in, in those areas. But then I don't know if, if other people... Uh, care as much right i i don't know i don't know that's a good she's question. like the the wunderkind of the, of the book is. world right now and i i would say i don't think most people would be able to name her yeah. or or know that about her but i would guess most people if their readers have come across this book in some capacity yeah. even if it's just on a display table at a bookstore i would think yeah, that they sure. would recognize or have heard of it or would have paid attention to the fact that it won awards and things like that. So, so yeah, I don't know that they would know her or know the buzz about her, but that's a good question. I would guess most, 
I feel like her first one was definitely in bookish circles people were talking about, but I don't know that expanded outside of that. This one I do feel like broke through a bit. Yeah, definitely a breakout book. I would would agree with that. Um, I also just realized that I always assume that Rooney Mara is the person who, like, when I picture (laughs) Sally Rooney, (laughs) it's the... (laughs) I just learned that Rooney Mara is engaged to Joaquin Phoenix. I know, right? And Rachel Bilson is dating Bill Hader. I know. I know. Two things I did not know before the Oscars. Thanks to the red carpet. I know. these things. I know. these things. <laughs> a little tangent for a little, this post-Oscar a little, Yeah. Pop culture bit for our listeners. <laughs> All right. I love your last book so much, so go ahead and start talking about it. Okay. It's The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. And this is kind of a spinoff of Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read this first, so I didn't get that some characters mentioned in this are from that book. But I don't think it matters um, at all. Do you Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. That? Yeah. It's fun. There are some fun connections if you've read them to say oh I know what she's talking yeah it's about, almost no. like an easter egg easter eggs yeah yeah people, you do not but... you do not have to read them in an order no good 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 um I I thoroughly enjoyed it so but then when I talked about it with a friend they they and had read the sec- the first book mm-hmm. at that point then she's like didn't you get that that was Simon that they were mentioning and I, I'm like I didn't know who Simon was yeah <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that they went together I knew that yeah. book but I hadn't read it yet so Simon uh the first book in the kind of loose series is all about being closeted in a fairly conservative town and this is basically the complete opposite so the protagonist of this is a girl named Molly and she is 17 years old and lives in an ultra progressive and hip neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and um, she has a twin sister named Cassie, who I think is bisexual, if I'm yes. remembering it correctly. Yes, yeah. she is. Um, and they're adopted, uh, the two of them were adopted by a lesbian couple, and so this is about as opposite of Simon's situation as you can get. Um, but they have this really great family life, and they have great friends, and it, this is, like, the most, um, like, Portland on steroids neighborhood that you can possibly imagine. So it, it sounds uh, pretty fun to poke around in and just just like a, a very cool place to be. So so Molly um, has always struggled with her confidence. Um, Cassie has always been very confident romantically, but Molly has had 26 unrequited crushes and she's always crushed from afar and um, has never had the like the wherewithal or the she's always been been comfortable with with how things have been so she is dealing with Cassie um, constantly wanting her to act on these crushes but Molly doesn't think that she can because she's overweight and she can't handle the idea of being rejected for her looks but she and Cassie have always had this great team and it's like I said it's just worked for them and so she feels really confident in that context and so it's just it's it's been okay Um, But then Cassie meets a pansexual girl named Mina and falls completely in love with her. And Molly is on the outside for the first time and she feels abandoned and like she is having to deal with the world on her own for for kind of the first time because that twin relationship is so close. Um, But Molly has this really hot best friend named Will. And so Molly thinks that this could be... Um, or did I say Mina? Mina has a hot best friend named Will. I think mm-hmm. I misspoke. Um, so Molly thinks that this could be uh, kind of a perfect 
double date sort of situation for her. So she'll finally get a boyfriend and then Cassie will also be back in her life. So she, um, so she puts a lot of emotional investment into this. But in the meantime, she is becoming friends with a guy that she works with at her part-time job who um, isn't cool at all. And his name is Reed and he is kind of a Ren Fair kind of guy. <laughs> so um, I, I don't remember um, exactly how he participates in it, but he's, he's like a, a Tolkien nerd and um, just the opposite of cool. So it doesn't seem on the surface like they should, they should really have a lot in common, but she really can't help but enjoy the time that they spend with each other at work. So you can see where this is going. It's a completely charming story. And Molly is just such a cute character. She's, she dresses really well, which I really enjoy. And she's just a really sweet girl. Um, at the beginning of the book, her, her, uh, her and Cassie's moms get engaged because it's happening in 2015 when same-sex marriage was legalized nationally. And she is so excited to be planning the perfect Pinterest, um, backyard wedding for her, her moms. And so she just has this creativity and, and sort of love for, uh, making the people around here feel good that that make you root for her and her love story is just meltingly adorable. So um, I liked that this book is a take on the insecurity of being attractive to other people, which everyone deals with, mm-hmm. but um, many romances don't uh, address as often. I, I think modern romances do a lot more, but it's um, the reputation of romance, I think, can be a lot more of just startlingly, startlingly, I can't say that, startlingly beautiful women or young women um, who never question that. And mm. whether you're physically or mentally attractive to someone is something that we as humans just grapple with constantly. And so I really like that this book, this book takes that on. And it also um, concentrates on how you deal with falling in love with someone that you don't expect. And um, I, I know that's happened to many of us as well. So um, when I read it, it reminded me of why I enjoy YA so much because it has that intensely emotional reading experience that you can't stop racing through. And I know that when I read this, I stayed up way past my bedtime to finish it. And it was just so satisfying. And so that is uh, The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. I loved that book so, so, so Yeah, it's so it's cute. so cute. It is just so cute. It's so great. And she's written another one since then, at least one more since then, that's yeah. also in that same universe. So it's fun to see the characters pop up in other Yeah, places. and that's that's more of a, that's specifically a character from the first book. So right. that one that's feeds very a little much bit about more. The Simon characters. Yeah. Yeah, the Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda of characters. All right, my last one is actually going to be a pretty quick... Uh, description, I think, because it's called The Lover's Dictionary by David Levithan. And this is a very unconventional story. I don't even know that you could really call it a novel. I guess it's a novel. <laughs> we it, don't have to do novels. Right. No, I know. But I just was trying to figure out in my head. I'm literally like looking up, searching for words because so it's 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 a dictionary. <laughs> it's a dictionary that goes from A to Z. It starts with uh, a, aberrant is that aberrant? I don't know how you say that word. To Zenith, and it's a narrator who describes his relationship with a woman through these entries, the definitions of these words. I liked it so much because it's just these little peeks into their relationship. They meet online, and he goes through about 
two years of their relationship, I believe. So you see them meeting, you see them moving in together, you see them uh, meeting each other's families, you see them having some fights and stuff. But it's you are only ever getting glimpses into their relationship. So it's left up to you to fill in the gaps of what's happening in between those things. And it's not in chronological order either. So it's sort of, did you ever see 500 Days of Summer? Uh-uh. Oh, that was okay. back when I couldn't handle um, relationships. Oh, so okay. Like, <laughs> I had just been cheated on and I was like, oh, nope, no, nothing. No, not for me. Well, I think maybe you'd like it now. Yes, uh, probably. It's, so the premise of, that's a movie. And the premise is it takes you through, um, he's in a relationship with a woman for 500 days. And the movie, d- again, does not go in chronological order. And it just picks random days from their relationship and kind of shows you the different highs and lows of the relationship and so this is very similar just in a different format of this of this dictionary and so that I will say the ending doesn't have a ton of resolution so so if you if you need everything tied up neatly you you wouldn't like that aspect of it but because of the format of the book and what it is trying to do is just show a relationship in all its 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 warts and things I don't think you need that resolution really I don't think that's a point of it so that's a lover's dictionary by David Levithan it's a super short book it's a quick read if you're intrigued at all by that description that very clumsy way of describing it I would say pick it up because it's it's an interesting book I like sort of, I like those unique viewpoints on on a subject like love it's just interesting so that sounds like a cool experiment yeah it, it is it's it's more cohesive than you would think based mm-hmm. on my description so. and did you I, I can't remember if you said if it's YA because he writes YA he does write YA typically. no this is definitely an adult an adult okay. novel yeah no this is an adult book alright so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week alright Anne what are you reading this week this week I'm reading a book called Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan And I'll say from the beginning, the cover and the title seem like it's a different type of book. So don't be tricked. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get suckered in. Yeah. I mean, the type of book sounds great that you would think it would be too, because it's, I thought it would be like a light bookish something. Right. Like (laughs) the, um, how to find love in a bookshop book. Yeah. Or or your your Jenny Colgan kind of type of thing. And it is not that at all. It is very good still. So, um, but it, it, you'll be very surprised if you go into it thinking it will be that kind of book. So um, I think it takes place in the mid-90s. They, I don't think they really specify that, but I, I think that there are enough clues to indicate that. And it's um, it starts out in a giant multi-floor bookstore called Bright Ideas in Denver, and it's very clearly modeled after the tattered cover. Mm-hmm. And the author is a former employee, so it's easy to put that together. Um And there's a young woman working there named Lydia, and she's kind of a loner, but this is the perfect job for her because all the employees are kind of quirky and eccentric, and many have worked there for decades, and it has this sort of hippie vibe, and which is is especially easy to imagine because it's the 90s in the post-grunge world, so Mm -hmm. everyone's kind of a hippie at that point. So um, Bright Ideas is also a haven for people that Lydia calls book frogs, and they seem homeless, but they really are fellow loners like her who struggle socially, but they love books and learning to the point that they spend all their time at the bookstore. So um, all the librarians listening to this will recognize that in many library patrons. Um, So I I kind of felt a little little drawn to the, the story because of that too. 
So Lydia is closing up at midnight one one night and the other employees are ushering out the book frogs and she starts to hear books falling from one of the floors above. And it's kind of like a what I, I imagine it, it's like an atrium kind of situation. So it's not you know, like it's carrying through the the whole building that she can hear this. So she goes upstairs to investigate and she finds that one of her favorite book frogs um, named Joey has just committed suicide by hanging and that the books that she heard falling were what he was pushing them off the shelves to climb to climb the shelves to secure the rope. So this is just this awful situation and she rushes to try to lift him up um, hoping that she can save his life and as she's holding his legs she sees that there's a photo in his pocket that she recognizes because it's a picture of her as a little girl hmm. so yeah <laughs> so this would be a extremely upsetting situation on many levels but um particularly because lydia has hidden her past that she hasn't even told her live-in boyfriend and that is that as a child she w- survived a serial killer named the hammer man which i vote for that as the scariest name probably yeah. ever <laughs> for a serial killer and um the fact that joey had a picture of her during that same era of her life brings back all these memories that of the terrible thing that happened to her um which i don't know yet because i haven't got to that part but it it um seems very upsetting so she finds out um soon after uh joey's death that he left all of his belongings to her and so they seem to point to some sort of code when she picks them up and she knows or i guess the audience knows that all of this will tie together to her past and to the identity of the hammer man so this i think is a perfect book for fans of uh books about books and also true crime which um is basically everyone I work with. So I I feel like I should just pass that on to them. Um, And I think it would be a good read alike for um, bookish mysteries like Magpie Murders, but it's definitely darker in tone than than that book was. Um, I will admit I'm a little scared to read this at night because I'm very triggered by serial killers, but it's also so intriguing and so... um, like hits all the the spots that I love of of bookish things and mysteries and uh, codes and true crime. So I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm not I'm not very far in, but I really like it so far. And that is um, Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan. But Anne, you don't like books about books. <laughs> if they don't name drop, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and this one does not name drop. We had a whole discussion. We had several books that we considered for the committee that I'm on that had either booksellers or librarians as main characters. And we had a whole discussion about how good or bad their book recommendations (gasps) are. Exactly. We're like, would you really recommend that book to... There are so many books I've read that I thought I would like because I'm always drawn to them. And then I think, oh, they don't really they don't know that many books they just know a handful of books yeah. and they keep recommending the same books and i get really annoyed by that so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, i thought you would i mean only in a room full of librarians would you have that conversation or booksellers yeah, sure. i'm sure would do a similar conversation but all right so my book uh was actually a book i just finished but i can't talk about the book that i'm reading because that's going to be for a forthcoming episode so uh, i know so the book that i just finished is called good talk by mira jacob it is a graphic memoir and mira jacob has is a novelist she's written at least one novel but this is um a memoir and she is 
bisexual. She is the daughter of Indian immigrants and has a son who, when he was, I think, about five or six, it, it, he was about five or six in 2016, I think. I'm trying to figure figure out the timeline. I think that would work because it's, it's sort of framed by the 2016 presidential election and how that impacted her personally as an Indian, somebody of Indian descent and as somebody who's part of the LGBTQ community. So her son, as many young kids do, has sort of um, a, a way of looking at the world or illuminating things by asking questions that is very honest. And, you know, they don't know what they're not supposed to say or not supposed to ask. And so her son just asks everything. So the, it starts with him. He is obsessed with Michael Jackson. He loves Michael Jackson. <laughs> so he's asking all these questions about Michael Jackson. And questions like, who's better, Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan? And she's like, well, they're both so different. And he's like, no, they're both people. Who's better? And then, <laughs> then it turns into... This is a kid after my own heart. This then is it turn, what I do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then he asks, is he brown or white? And she's like, well, you know... That's the, you know, he's, he's African-American, but his skin turned lighter over time. You know, it's just, it's, it's more, the, and the answers get more and more complicated. And so it, he starts asking about why is it, is it bad to be a brown person in the United States today? Is it bad to be a Muslim? Is it better to be a white person? Is it better not to be a Muslim? Questions like that, that are all stem from things that are happening around him and in the news and in the presidential election and things that are being said. And so th that is kind of the framework of the story is, is are these conversations that she's having with her son. And then interspersed interspersed between that are the story the story is the story of her own life and being raised by immigrants and being a first generation American and um, her own experiences with racism and homophobia and things like that. And then her husband, she married somebody who is Jewish and his parents who have always been very loving, generous, kind people and, and still are, but they're, they're supporters of Donald Trump during the election. And to her, that is a very personal affront. And she doesn't quite understand how they can love her and also support this people, this person who says terrible things about who she is. And so grappling with that, how do you have a relationship with your in-laws in that situation? What sort of tension that causes between she and her husband? Um, she talks a bit about 9-11. She was in New York on 9-11 and um, talks about arranged marriages in the Indian culture. She talks about being a ghostwriter for a time for this woman who is incredibly privileged and doesn't recognize her privilege and doesn't recognize how entitled she is. Um, so there's all this wrapped up in, in this book. And because we've talked about before graphic novels, this graphic no memoir, because of the format, it, it's, it's very easy to read, but there are lots of big themes to think about. So it's a book that that makes you think, but it's not a challenging, the words aren't challenging to comprehend. Um, and the way, so one of the aspects of graphic work is the pictures, obviously. And so uh, the art is very striking. She uses many times sort of like black and white ink drawings of 
of herself and her son and her husband and then overlays them on top of real photographs. So for like 9-11, there are photographs from 9-11 that have um, these illustrations on top of them. So it was just, it was a, a great book. I think it'd be a fabulous book club book uh, to talk. And it's one of those that I think that it's a quick read. Uh, so people could even, even though, like I said, there's a lot to talk about, it would be a good one. I know in my book club, lots of times, maybe half the members don't even read the book because they've run out of time and they're busy. They have kids and they have jobs and, and travel and all these things. And so this would be a great one because there's so much to discuss. It's very, very timely, um, but it's, it's not a huge investment of time. So that is Good Talk by Mira Jacob. That sounds so good. It sounds too like, like it would be really amplified by the graphic novel yeah. format as opposed to just writing a memoir. Right. It is. Absolutely. And it's, it's all about having, it's all about the importance of having hard conversations, which I, I know I can benefit from. I could be somebody who avoids sort of the more difficult confrontations. And so it's all about, and she does it through her son who's asking these questions Naively, he's not realizing that's a difficult question or a difficult conversation to have, uh, and it's all about all about that. So, I thought it was really, really great, and I'm glad I had a chance to read it. I just, yeah. again, I have that's not that doesn't fit into one of my genres that I'm reading, but I checked. I had heard good things about it, and I checked it out from the library and spent an afternoon over the weekend reading it. So it's great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's go back and talk about all the books that we mentioned today. Okay, I talked about Less by Andrew Sean Greer, The Only Story by Julian Barnes, The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli, and what I'm reading this week is Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan. Okay, and I talked about Our Souls at Night by Kent Harris, Normal People by Sally Rooney, The Lover's Dictionary by David Levithan, and what I read this week was Good Talk by Mira Jacob. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Uh, find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. We actually got a suggestion this week for a topic. Which it was so was exciting. Awesome. It was yeah. a great suggestion. Thank you. Thank you, Chrissy, who sent that to us. And uh, we're going to do it. I just, we have to figure out, it involves watching a movie. So I have to figure out when I'm going to actually <laughs> see the movie. But I will do it. Uh, anyway, um, so please, if you have any ideas for us or you have um, anything you want to tell us, please let us know. Uh, if you have time and could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice, we'd love it. Helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com and you can find a listing of every book we talked about today and in every episode there. Thank you all for listening. Happy Valentine's Day. Hope you all get a book from the Valentine's Day Fairy. <laughs> Happy reading. <laughs>